because we now have the Cinema Judge! Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cinema Judge. I hope my voice finds you well. To all my regular listeners out there, welcome back. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. Now, approaching the bench today, we have The Color Purple. Now, you might remember the original with Steven Spielberg, the Broadway play. Well, this is a reinterpretation of the Broadway play and the original movie. This is in a musical style, but the same strong, powerful message. Here's a tagline. A woman faces many hardships in her life, but ultimately finds strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood. Here's a trailer for The Color Purple. How come you don't laugh none? Ain't you got something to make you just smile? My sister, and I ain't seen her in years. You know, if you ain't gonna laugh, you need to sell your footy bone. (laughs) I was married to a man I didn't love. Whatever I say, go. And he took my sister away from me. Even if we have to part, you and me, us Us have have one heart. Oh, you so nice. I don't know. Maybe you too nice. You seem like trouble. I come here out of respect. But if there ain't nothing to get, that show ain't nothing to get. Somewhere in the world. Someday we're gonna meet again. Keep your head held high, just like Mom Thomas. It's time I be free from you and then turn to creation. I'd die before I let that happen. Good. That's just a going away present I've been needing. Now, this version of The Color Purple is directed by the incredibly talented Blitz Bazawo and produced by the amazing, the legendary Oprah Winfrey. Dare we say more? With her behind this, you really can't go wrong. And the cast in this movie is incredible, bar none. Fantasia Barino, Tajari P. Henson, Halle Bailey, and that's just to name just a few. 
This is just a loaded cast of talented, talented actors and actresses. In a studio that gave us so many great interviews for this show today, I don't really want to stand in the way too much because they have so much to say, and that's what you're here for. So coming up first, we're going to go back and forth between Oprah and director Blitz. So first we're going to hear from Oprah talking about the loyalty she felt to the original because it changed her life immensely. And then we're going to go to the director Blitz talking about the original and his response to being offered a job. And I love that interview. He has honesty because imagine that you are presented with this iconic piece of art and what do you do with it? Where do you go with it? But it's interesting to see what he did with it. Because then we're going to hear back from Oprah and she talks about that po- that moment, that point where she just knew Blitz was the guy to do it with the storyboards and his idea. She was like, Without a doubt, he's our guy. And then we go back to the director, and he tells us a little bit more about the story. And in that same vein, we're going to hear again from Oprah, and she talks about his vision. But put yourself in his position. Again, like I said, all these things to draw from the book, the play, the movie. What do you do? And then we're going to hear from him, and he addresses that. When you're in doubt, when you have nowhere else to turn, what do you do? You turn to the Holy Grail, the book. Because in the grand scheme of things, that's the original word. So if you've lost in the production where to go with it, you don't know where the story might be going, you turn to the original because you can't go wrong with the original. Here's some really good interviews. Check it out. I've said many times it's not your mama's color purple, but your mama going to love it. She's going to love it because I think we all, certainly I am, uh, have a great sense of loyalty to the original Color Purple. That changed my life more than anything, any other experience of my life. The Color Purple changed my life uh, in a myriad of ways that I won't go into here. But um, my affection and, uh, you know, appreciation for that version uh, remains. But this is a magically realized inside Seely's imagination Inside Seely's thoughts. I um, got a phone call, said they were remaking The Color Purple. And, um, you know, of course, when you hear that, you go, that can't be me. You know, I mean, the bar is so high on the original to Steven Spielberg. It's a, it's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. It's Alice Walker. It's a Tony Award winning Broadway show. Right. So you quickly go, I, you know, there's other, there are other hills, you know, and, um, I, I, um, I eventually read the script and I was like, something here, there's something I can do here. And, and there's an opportunity, um, to create something new and create something that is, that is mine. And, and so one meeting led to the next and, um, you know, put together a great pitch that really, um, showed that we had a vision. Um, and, and, and there was a path to making something that was truly unique. We interviewed uh, a number of people for the possibility of directing this film. And it was a slam dunk, 100%. Everybody in the room said, that's the guy when Blitz made his first presentation. And his first presentation was, um, storyboarded with these ideas of magical realism. The Color Purple follows the journey of Seeley, um, 
an African-American woman uh, growing up in the rural South in the early 1900s. Um, she is forced to marry a man, Mr., who's abusive, um, who ends up separating her from her sister and begins a cycle of trauma. Along her way, Celie meets two extraordinary women who transform her, Sugar Avery and Sophia, and they kind of inspire her to become this person who then attracts the things that she wants. His vision for what this movie could be comes alive in a way that I think will excite and stimulate and delight the audience. I knew that our film will have to be an amalgam of all these iterations, right? Of course, beginning with The Holy Grail, which is Alice Walker's brilliant Pulitzer Prize winning book. Um, that for me was the Bible. We'll always be able, whenever we were lost, we knew that we could go to Alice Walker and we will find our way. Steven's film gave us kind of the cinematic version and the Broadway show gave us the musical. But somewhere in between all of this, we had to find what would be our glue. And that was what was going to be on us. And also we knew that we were bringing an imaginative quality that only our version has. Um, and so that imaginative quality became almost the glue that held all the parts together. Um, but it needed to be grounded you know, as as far as I believe, anything that is imaginative or what people will call magical realist, the realism part is the critical part because you can easily get off course and go off the reservation trying to be uh, abstract, right? And so grounding the film in Alice's brilliant arc then made sure that anywhere we went, we could always return to the Ark. And that's really, I think, what gave us our wings. Now, in the next little section of interviews, we're going to talk about the cast. But first, we're going to hear from Oprah, and she talks about that, how incredibly talented this cast is. But then we're going to hear from Fantasia and also Daniel Brooke. First, Fantasia talks about not wanting to disappoint Oprah because what she's paved the road for so many other actresses out there and people of color they do not want to disappoint her because what she did with that role originally obviously was incredible. And that's what Daniel Brooke talks about also. And then the director Blitz talks about the cast too. And then both the director and Taraji P. Henson, they both addressed the incredible cast that they have for this movie. And then we hear from Fantasia and she talks about working with Danielle Brooke. And in the same vein, then we're going to hear from Danielle Brooke talking about working with Fantasia and how this is one of her first projects, but she has the weight of everything on her. But then Danielle talks about also about her coming back to her role that she's playing, and why wouldn't she do it? Well, we have such an incredible ensemble cast. I mean, this cast is fire, okay? From Coleman Domingo to Corey Hawkins to uh, Taraji, obviously Fantasia in the starring role. Oprah, ha just having her here knowing her story, knowing that she played in the first Color Purple. Having her here makes us really be on our P's and Q's because we want to fulfill 
uh, the vision that she sees for Color Purple the Musical. We don't want to disappoint everything that she put in. She told us her story, how she got the role, what it meant to her. And because of that, we all bring it, we're bringing our A game to make her happy. She is a woman of color who has paved the way for us all, who has shown us that you, could, you can do whatever you want to do as long as you put your mind to it. Nobody stopped her. Nobody stood in her way. She had to knock down some doors, but she did it. And so for us, we're going to knock down doors with this movie for her and every other Black woman out there. I really feel like Miss Winfrey really stamped Sophia um, as one of the most iconic roles in America's cinema. Like, what she did with that character, she left such a great blueprint for me to follow and has really made my job much easier um, between her and the words of... of um, Alice Walker, uh, it's really just made, you know, my work, um, much easier to, to get into Sophia and discover who she is. This is a, a brilliant ensemble. You know, I, I, I'm one of the luckiest directors in the world to have the level of skill and talent, um, and also rich depth. Like, everybody brought a wealth. This entire cast was handpicked by Blitz, and, I mean, he had a vision, and he fought for everybody in this film, and I'm just so grateful because I don't think he could have put together a better cast. Danielle is a very strong Black woman uh, who has fought her way through this industry, standing out from the stereotype, as well as myself, as well as Shug, Taraji. And she's not afraid to say what she wants to say. I noticed that when we were off camera, and I would say to her, you are Sophia in real life. And she would laugh. I'm like, it, it's true. And I believe that I'm Seely. Blitz couldn't have picked us out. In, I mean, perfect picks. For Fantasia, this is her first, you know, big film, and she's leading the cast. And I have been on shows where you either don't feel supported because something might be new to you and people feel like, well, how did you get in this position? But, like, no, she's deserving of this moment, and I think she did an incredible job. And um, I think that's what sisterhood is about, as we see in the movie. It's like helping one another to be our best and to realize our potential and to realize that we can do and be whatever we want to be. And so I think we lived by that on set and off set. How could I not come back to Sophia? I, I mean, it's she's so much fun to play. She's so complicated. Um, and I really, she's super challenging uh, to step into her shoes because she goes from this fiery firecracker, you know, that is actually very chill until you poke the bear to, you know, falling um, and to rising again. And I really enjoy stepping into her shoes because it's so true to life. In this version of Color Purple, there's incredible music and dance sequences. And we're going to hear some people talk about that up, coming up next. First, we're going to hear from Taraji P. Henson. 
and she talks about both the director and the power of the music in this film. And then we're going to hear from Halle Bailey. And she also talks about that. She talks about the music, why she decided to take this film, and the, the importance that this movie, the original one, I should say, played in her family. How it was often playing in the background, how much it meant to her mother, her grandmother. And the important message in this movie of women having layers. So many different kind of characters in this movie. It's not just the same cookie cutter in any given movie. These characters are rich and full. There's layers to them. And I just love, hear, love hearing her talk about that. What I love about Blitz, and when he first approached me about this story, he was like, it's a great marriage of the book, the original film, and the stage play. And what I love about this version of the film is tapping into the joy. Blitz's vision is not leaning on the sorrow and the pain and the trauma, but how Black people and how we have been able to miraculously turn our trauma into joy. It's very spiritual, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's, it's the full gamut of the music back then. It's jazz, it's blues, it's gospel, it's... And then when we get to the end, we bring you up to date with some of the, you know, um, um, music of today's music. And that's just, um, when you talk about black culture, you can't talk about it without music. You know, <laughs> you just can't. The reason why I decided to come aboard for this amazing new adaptation of The Color Purple was really because this movie has meant so much to me and my family for so long. I mean... I just can tell you the amount of stories that I have with this film from remembering when I was a little girl and just always having it play somewhere, like in the background or watching it, watching my mom and dad watch it. And it just means a lot that, you know, something that means so much to our family generations, I can now be a part of. Nettie is an amazing character. She is a fiery spirit. She is so filled with joy and just wants to live. Um, she has this very curious mind and curious spirit, and I think that's what I love most about her. I think it means so much to be a woman in this film. I think this film in particular shows the different shapes and forms that we have as women and what we endure um, and the pain and the heartbreak. And even through the midst of all of that, how we can still come out with such love and beauty and strength surrounding us. And, um, you know, that's the beautiful thing about this film is the fact that it shows all the layers it is of a woman, what to, it is that you go through as a journey of a woman. When I first heard the music of the film, I was just like blown away. And Honestly, I am just a fan of all of the people that are involved in this film. I mean, the amazing musicians like Tamala Mann and her and, you know, Felicia and Fantasia and Taraji. I'm just like, what? How am I here? And so just kind of watching everyone just be superb at their craft. The color purple and its legacy means the world to me. I mean, when I talk to my grandmother about what this film means to her, her eyes light up. And when I look at my grandmother, she is a figure who is just, has so much wisdom and strength and courage. And I think that that is something that this film represents. I think The Color Purple has endured for so long because 
people can relate to the ups and downs that the film kind of bestows on all of us. I think that, you know, although it's a very deep and dark and painful story, you know, there's such a light at the end of the tunnel messaging. Obviously, I wasn't lying at the beginning of the show. These people have so much to say, so much knowledge to share with us. That's why I'm just letting so many of these interviews go because the studio, they provided us with such wonderful things, just sharing the, the messages of this film. And coming up next, we're going to hear from John Batisti in Intoxic Color Purple Legacy and the messages in this film. And then we're going to hear from Scott Sanders, the producer. And I love this interview because he talks about what he felt when he first read the book. And then also he addresses the power of singing. Yes, there was great songs and everything in the original, but this one takes it a step further. And sometimes you can get a lot more emotion and clarity when somebody sings. And he also talks about combining all three of the elements that made this to what it is today. Again, from the novel to the original movie to to the play and making it all into this brand new version. The Color Purple's legacy to me is an expansion of canon and the expansion of canon to include the black mythological figures. These, these are now, just like you look at Greek mythology, these are now American stories, American myths. I think anything that has a depth of humanity that expresses something that is universal while tapping into the the questions of the time we're living in. So it is current at the same time as it's universal. At the time The Color Purple came out, there was a question that we're still grappling with of black identity and understanding how we can really affirm our humanity when there's so many things that particularly where you talk about Jim Crow, you talk about the civil rights movement, all these things that are trying to strip it away, marginalizing those voices. And and our voices really needed stories that connected to our humanity, not just the struggle. Um, and in particular, black women, you know, it's incredible to have a story like this. And I think that's what makes it universal because the struggle of, of affirming your humanity is something that many all of us across time and generations have experienced different cultures in different forms have have had to fight for the humanity to be affirmed. So uh, a story like this came at a timely moment and is a universal struggle. There's a lot of messages. It's an intersection of a lot of different things. It's it's, um, it's lineage and the power of lineage, the power of how uh, generational curses or things from generations past affect the way that everyone's life unfolds um, <laughs> and how you can break those chains or how you can create, um, you can perpetuate them. It's a story of female empowerment. It's a story of, of, of true friendship. That's, there's, there's many great messages. It's, it's a human story, and that's what makes it ultimately great and enduring is that it was just so well done. I remember when I read Alice's novel um, years ago, and I found myself so moved by Celie's journey in particular. I found this protagonist one of the most remarkable women slash people that I had ever read about, fiction or otherwise. And um, I found this classic triumph over adversity story in many ways, moving, inspiring, sad, joyful, all of the above. But 
I found Celie's ability to put one foot in front of the other day after day after day and move forward, notwithstanding her obstacles and the things that, that were challenging her in her life. And not only to be loving to other people, Sophia, Shug, Harpo, but also then towards the end of the story to find her own self-love and to feel like a fully realized person that she can be independent, she can be whoever she wants to be, and that her trauma doesn't necessarily have to affect her full life. I feel that when someone sings, there's an emotion, a heightened emotion that happens, and you can really get to the core of some very intimate feelings when you sing. And of course, Stephen and Quincy's movie had music in it. I mean, there's a lot of great, beautiful music composed by Quincy and his team uh, for that film. But a, but a full-on um, book musical, if you will, that the stage musical was, um, really gave us an opportunity to sing more. And, and, I, and I feel like this is such an emotional story, such a heartfelt story, such a spiritual story, that it would be ripe for adapting it in a musical form. This Color Purple film is really a combination of a lot of different elements from stemming from Alice Walker's novel. So the source material, if you will, for this movie is Alice's novel, the stage musical, some Easter eggs from Steven Spielberg's movie, and an entire new vocabulary of magical realism. Now, you could only imagine trying to tackle this kind of movie with such a cast and such a sweeping message, so many moving parts. And we're going to hear a couple of people talk about that, but most importantly, talk about the, the power of having the right director making this film. First, we're going to hear from Danielle Brooks. She talks about the director, and then we're going to hear from Taraji P. Henson. Again, she just sings more praises of the talent of this director, Blitz, because this is not an easy task. And then we're going to hear from the director, and he talks a really cool thing here. He talks about what his job was at on when he's making this film. And he's so humble. He's so soft-spoken. He's so knowledgeable. But I love what he talks about. He goes, I take no responsibility for these, this or that or this. He just gives them an environment to work. And I just, you feel it when he talks, you're like, man, I would work with this guy in a heartbeat because he just sounds supportive. Sounds like you're, he's there for you. I guess I really don't even know what I'm talking about. But when you hear him talking, you'll see what I'm saying. Bliss is a visionary. I feel like God just knew that he was the one to do this. When I watched that film, I felt like he hit every micro detail. He didn't miss a beat. I've never seen myself lit that way. I just was, I just felt, felt like he cared so much about every little detail. And he, he also gave us and me, I felt specifically me, this room to just trust my instincts. And he didn't let us hold anything back. So I'm very like, 
grateful to Blitz um, for seeing me, for allowing me to play this part, for his demeanor on set. I was so in awe of how he handled people with grace. He is the right director because, first of all, he's so nurturing and he pays attention to everything. The bow on the hat, the bow is too much, the shoes, the car, you know, um, the choreography, how the camera's moving. Um, he's, he's putting the pieces of the puzzle together as he's filming it. He was interested in us owning these characters and making them our own. He wasn't interested in, you know, um, any, anything that the original film was. He was just paying particularly, particular attention and care, took great care in telling the story because the story's the story, you know, and the colorization of it, it was a light film. It wasn't dark, you know, it still had mood and moody moments, but it was, it was alive and it was vibrant and it was full of life like black people. <laughs> That's what we are. Even through our struggles, we learn how to laugh and dance and sing. You know, my job as a director is to allow space, it's to create space for these artists to be artists. I take no responsibility and, and no credit for what they do. My job is just to create the environment and make it real and push them into that corner and allow them to be that, you know, and, and people like Danielle, that's all they need. You don't have to say much. You show them the world. You tell them you believe in them. You tell them you trust that they'll find it. And they always do. See what I'm saying? The guy just knows how to talk. You know he knows how to work with actors. And that's how you get great stuff from performers. Supporting them, give them ideas, but let them find their way. Because then they feel it and you can feel it when you as a viewer. But let's talk about message. That's what we're going to talk about next, these next couple interviews. And about seeing this in the theater, seeing it with your friends, seeing it with your families. So first we're going to hear from Danielle Brooks. And she talks about the message along with Oprah. And then we're going to go back to Danielle Brooks. And she talks about why you should see this movie. And then... Taraji P. Henson, she also addresses that. Being with people you care about, seeing this in the big theater, hearing everybody else react to this kind of film. You know, you can watch this obviously by yourself anytime and whenever it comes out on, you know, renting or DVD or what have you, it's still a wonderful movie. But sometimes they talk about just being there with people. And then we're going to hear a little bit more from Oprah about the message. And more importantly, about this movie being for her very personal, coming full circle from way back when this came out, only thing she wanted to do was be part of that film. And then how that just changed her life forever. That role, that role alone, just boom. I mean, obviously she has talent. I mean, it wasn't just that role, but to know, for the world to see and finally figure out this woman has a talent. And now she gets to share this version with the world. Now she's the producer She's the one who's guiding this vision and going, here you go, world. This new set of actors are out there. Here it is. And it's just a really cool interview. And then she also talks about why the color purple endures. This movie is about healing. It's about forgiveness. It's about love. It's about picking yourself back up. No matter how strong or weak you might feel, you can always get back up again. 
the essence of the message of this film continues to be the essence of the message of the book and the essence of the Broadway musical and the essence of the original film. And that is, God, get pissed if you don't notice the color purple. And that is the root of gratitude, spiritual acknowledgement that there is something bigger than yourself. I don't know if I can look at the camera. Y'all pickles in this movie. It's so good. I mean, if you're into film, go see this movie. If you have not been to a theater in years because of the pandemic, this is the one to see. This is the one to see with your family, your aunts, your sororities, your fraternities. This is the movie to see with your grandma, with your 12-year-old daughter. Um, because this is us as Black people. Specifically, this embodies all of who we are, the good, bad, ugly in between. So please go see this film. The only way you're going to get the full effect is to see it on the big screen. All the movement, all the, you know, the choreography and the song and dance. And it's such a family oriented piece that you can't, you need to be with people, with a group of people. And, and the best way to do that is in, in a theater. <laughs> the root message for me is that love heals. First and foremost, forgiveness heals. Forgiveness beginning with yourself and then being able to extend that to other people and the healing takes place. The great thing about this film is like when you go to a good church service and the choir is singing and everybody's on key and you stood up and you were singing and you feel with the Holy Spirit and you come out of that service and you feel full. You just feel full. You feel like I got enough to carry me through the rest of the week. Time to get back and get some more. That's what the color purple is going to do for people. It's going to fill you up and carry you to the next week when you go back and get some more and see it again. So the color purple holds a solid base of, of, of spiritual and emotional power for me and in just every way. So to be, it's, it's absolutely a full circle moment for me who wanted more than anything in the world in 1985 to be a part of this film, not knowing one human being in the film industry and having this role come to me and now being able to full circle put it back out into the world in the form of a musical. Nothing, nothing means more to me. The story endures because for every woman and man who has suffered, who has been invisible, who has felt unseen and unvalued, this is their story of coming into yourself, coming into your own, having that glorious self-discovery reflected to you through the image of someone else. So what do you guys think? Is this a movie that you guys want to see? How do you think I presented it to you? Did I give you enough facts, enough interviews? I would love your feedback because I can't grow if I don't know. So please feel free to let me know, cinemajudge at hotmail.com, or you could go to Instagram, TikTok, Threads, and also on YouTube and, and many other different platforms. But I just will give you a little forewarning. Sometimes, not all the time, but every once in a while, 
this will say on YouTube or whatever, some things cannot be aired due to restrictions or what have you. So if you want a completely uncut version of this show, either come here for this part, or if you want to watch the TV version of it, let me give you that website right now. You go to bit.ly slash cinemajudge. But on the TV version, you get to see all this stuff, but you don't have to worry about it. You won't hear me at all or see me. That is strictly interviews and whatever else I have that the studios gave me. You don't have to hear or see me at all. So that one's a totally different version. But in case you want to watch the interviews, do it that way, bit.ly slash cinemajudge. Now this is one of my favorite parts of the show. This is where I thank you, the listeners, for listening to this show. But on this little thank you part, it doesn't include YouTube and other places like that because that's impossible to find out where and when people listen and I have no clue how to find that stuff out. This is shout-outs to people who listen to the podcast, whether it be on whatever platform you listen to. And I really appreciate those who do take your time to listen to this podcast. And I really love listening and hearing about how you listen to the show. A lot of you listen to it when you're driving to work, sitting at home, on break, or just using it as a nightlight. Some people just play it overnight, one episode after another. And that's really great, too. I really appreciate that. Because my only goal here is this to share movies with you, whether to be a blockbuster or independent film, because any movie is somebody's favorite movie. I'm never going to sit here and tell you not to see a movie. Who am I to tell you not to see something? That's not our jam here at the Cinema Judge. I just like to learn about movies. This is a movie oasis, a place where you can come and just get away from the noise, because we know how noisy it is out there. I just want to learn about a movie and share it with you. I'm not here to yell, cry, criticize Hollywood actors, actresses. No, I leave that to the professionals. I just want to talk movies and learn. That's all. So for all of you who do listen to the podcast, this is for you. To all my listeners in the United States, Germany, you guys, always Germany, show up for the show. I really appreciate this. Japan, Poland, hello Poland, I really appreciate it. Brazil and Iran this week. Thank you so much to all of you from Kirkin, North Rhine, Westphalia, St. Paul, Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Stillwater, Minnesota, Umeda, Osaka, and then, boy, this one, P-O-M-E-R-A-N-I-A. Thank you so much. Rio de Janeiro, Frankfurt AM, Maine, Hesse. You guys are always on the show and listening. I truly am grateful to you guys. Truly. Thanks a lot. Russellville, Tennessee. Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, Hanover, New Hampshire, Marion, Indiana, Apex, North Carolina, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, O-C-E, O-C-O-E-E, Florida. Sorry about that, Florida. I could not pronounce that without completely butchering it like I do so many of these other ones, but thank you so much. New York, New York, Dallas, Texas, Denver, Colorado, and that's just to name a few. I couldn't get to you all. But to every solitary one of you who take time out of your busy life to listen to this podcast, I am thrilled and I can't even ex- tell you how much I appreciate it. And I also like everybody who leaves their comments on YouTube. I like it. That's the only way I know to do better. I can't grow if I don't know. I know I just said that, but you get what I'm saying. And this week's bourbon shout out goes out to Jackie, Justin, their family, and everybody in that whole family. Sadly, we had to meet under such circumstances, but I just wanted to give you guys all a personal bourbon shout out. You guys always make me feel like family, and it's it's incredible honor just to be 
around you guys, even though it was in such, you know, an unpleasant situation, but still just being together, being seeing everybody together, it was a it was a wonderful feeling. And I really, really appreciate all of you for making me feel like part of the family. So to all of you, cheers. Now, as I said earlier, there's a TV version of this. And when I'm doing a TV version, I don't have to worry about any of this. I don't have to sit here about trying not to stammer about and try to make a complete sentence without sounding like a buffoon. That is my happy place. I'm learning about a movie, I'm editing, and I have tunes cranked. That truly is my happy place. It's a slice of whatever you want to call it. That's my that's my jam. And this week, I was I was a little bit all over the place on my tune selection. I was just every once in a while you just feel you know I'm, I'm going to mix it up. So I first started off with Tobias Gesso Jr. The name of the album was Goon, and it is just it was I don't I don't know how good it did back in the day, but look it up. Tobias Gesso Jr. The album was called Goon, G-O-O-N. I mean, at least the first three or four songs are just killer. They're just, it almost seems like they have like a little message or a little uh, story involved. It's, I can't stop thinking about you. How could you, babe, without you? Can we still be friends? The Wait, Hollywood for you, just to name a few. But whatever reason, I just love that album. Check it out if you ever have a chance. And then I said, I feel like The Doors. And I know why I felt like listening to The Doors. Because I started watching A Murder at the End of the World. I think that's what it's called on Hulu. The opening shot. This woman is walking down the street, headphones on, and she's listening to the song The End. Now, if you're a Doors fan, you know The End. That's just a brilliant song. It's It caused the band trouble back in the day when they performed it live here, live here and there. But that whole album, but that song, The End... Obviously, it's not for everybody, but it's a just an epic song, for lack of a better word. It's just, it's beautiful, really. But so I went from that album, I went from just a self-titled Doors album. Again, that whole album is just loaded with great tunes. And then I went in order. Then I went to their latest, their, their next release in real life, Strange Days. It has Love Me Two Times on it, People Are Strange, When the Music's Over, just to name a few, because again, great album. And then I moved on to Waiting for the Sun. That one has... Hello, I Love You on it. And I could go on and on. But that's why I was listening to, there I went on to, boom, like I said, Waiting for the Sun. <laughs> and then, and then I, I shift gears once again, and I just put on The Ultimate Bee Gees. It's a double CD. If you, I don't know if you really call it anymore, but it's a double album, whatever you want to say. But I love that. That's like one of my go-to ones. It's It just puts me in a complete happy place because I know every song by heart, or I know what order they come in. And it just, I don't have to think I don't have to stop listening to it because I know it's coming and I love every song. So here I am, I'm editing. And that was my variety pack that I was listening to when I was making this episode. Well, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. (laughs) 